Well, good day. My name is Mark Brown, and you are listening to the Valley in the Shadows podcast. Welcome. Well, it gives me incredible pleasure to welcome to the podcast someone I admire and deeply respect, and his name is Richard Brunk. Now, I met Richard through the Texas State Guard, where briefly we were fellow chaplains. Uh, Chaplain Brunk is a colonel, a full bird colonel in the Texas State Guard, and, and I had the pleasure of working alongside him for about a year. And I was so struck by his story, uh, his depth of knowledge and, and his experience and wisdom that I knew I had to somehow get him on the podcast. And so it's a pleasure to, to welcome him here. I just want to give a little background about uh, Richard. Well, he has 31 years in the Chaplain Corps, including 22 years in federal service with the U.S. Army. He is a Purple Heart recipient. And it currently is a second brigade chaplain for the Texas State Guard. He's also, if that isn't enough, uh, a doctoral student at the Lutheran, at the Institute of Lutheran Theology. So welcome, Richard. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark, for having me. I hope I can be as entertaining as podcasts I just listened to where you were interviewing the, the fine lady from Australia. <laughs> I don't have anywhere near the, the beautiful accent that you two both had. <laughs> that was a pleasure to listen to that. Well, one of the stories that you shared with me, um, and, and I'd love you to recount uh, on this podcast, and then we can explore how you came to terms with it, was an event that happened in 2005. You were deployed as an army chaplain to Baghdad, Iraq, and you were about to lead, I think, uh, a chapel service on base, and then something happened. So, so tell us what happened on that, that fateful day. Okay, well, I had been in um, Baghdad for uh, a full week, and we were having a transition service where uh, Chaplain Tim Christ was saying goodbye, and I was going to be one of the guys taking over. I was going to be taking over his slot and uh, there were a bunch of us chaplains gathered for a worship service um, at the big base there in Baghdad. Yeah. And uh, so he was actually preaching. And uh, I remember um, one of the chaplains uh, suddenly shouted out, um, incoming. Mm. And, you know, just the first thing when I hear that word, I think that's the last time I heard anything normally. Mm. The last word, you know, that, that I didn't hear with all this background noise I have now mm. was the word incoming. But, but anyway, the blast hit me and uh, I went flying through the air. Mm. And uh, one of the interesting things is, you know, in the, the movies, they often show it slowing down during some big you know, like a car wreck or something like that. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. I was flying through the air in slow motion saying, this is really going to hurt. Mm. And I, I tried to uh, stop myself with my arm, which I broke. Mm. 
and uh, landed square on my head. Mm. And uh, so got a pretty significant head trauma and broken arm, ruptured eardrums, um, damaged both my eyes and Mm. discovered later lots of other things that went with it. But that was the specific event. So my my battle experience at that point was approximately 1.1 second long. Wow. wow. And I learned a great deal about blasts. I was, I recalled uh, seven blasts that I was in over time. They finally, you know, put me out of commission and, and I, I ended up leaving. So let me talk about that. So you, you take a, the building you're in, I'm assuming, takes a hit from around um, the again I, I, I should have said up front and I know you well enough uh, Richard to 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 be somewhat presumptuous but anything that you don't want to discuss and obviously um, please just feel free to <laughs> change the subject um, I so just I, tell you to in my in my fake Australian accent I can tell you to bugger off <laughs> like that. I'm not sure if you got to cut that out I don't even know what that means <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay and I just want to say for those listening I, I, it's such a pleasure to know this man he is given what he has been through he has such a glorious faith and a jet and a fantastic sense of humor as you're already hearing so so you you experience this horrific blast you're thrown across a room you sustain significant injuries um then you're uh, taken to the hospital in Iraq and then medevaced out to Germany. And then you said you were back with your unit, did you say two months later? Yes. Wow. Yeah, and, and when I was listening to Tracy's story, she was talking about the stroke and, and you kind of don't, you, you, you kind of think things through, but you're not really all there. Yeah. So from that first explosion, I actually went back to work. And we, we did what we're supposed to do. We had uh, civilians in the building. We helped evacuate them. Uh, several of them were rather shaken up. Yeah. Um, what I realized is I wasn't hearing very well, but I just, I wasn't paying attention to that. And just an aside, they, when I walked into the chapel service, they had a big bowl of Hershey Kisses. This is before now, the blast. This is before the blast. Right. So... When I went flying across the room, I had a handful of Hershey Kisses. <laughs> and they went all over the floor. And I realized that there I am. I'm trying to pick them up. And I can't because I've got a broken arm. Gosh. And I look at uh, Chaplain uh, Kirsten. Uh-huh. And I say to him, when you make a point, you really make a point. <laughs> And did you really say that? After I really said tr- that. <laughs> We're both laying on the ground. And I said, yeah. And and he looks at me and I I see him say, you're crazy. Because <laughs> you can't I, hear him. But I can't really hear him. <laughs> and I could hear screaming and yelling, mm. but I but it, it made no sense. Mm. And uh, so I told him, I said, if I'm going to die, it's going to be with chocolate on my breath. Would you like one? <laughs> okay, so we evacuated the building. And it was part of the left seat, right seat thing that soldiers do. I was replacing Chaplain Kirsten. So it was my job to drive back to our base. We were at another base for this service. And um, so I get in the vehicle and 
we have them chained with a padlock, and I can't get the padlock off. Mm. I got a broken arm. It doesn't dawn on me. Mm. And then I'm trying to drive. Well, I can't shift it mm. because I got, again, a broken arm. Doesn't So I'm reaching over to shift the vehicle with my left hand, which is just absolutely horrific to everybody in the back. Mm. And... Um, and then we went and we did another service that afternoon. And I don't remember anything from walk. I walked into that chapel for that service. I remember walking in. I don't remember anything until Wednesday morning. So, so, so get this straight. So you, 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 you take an incoming round. You're thrown. You, you land on your head. You break your arm. Um, you, you, your eyes are damaged. Um, I'm sure there are other uh, injuries uh, yeah, that, right. around that. You then drive a vehicle, basically one-handed, and then conduct another chapel service. So let me ask this then, because I know that listeners will be curious as I am. Did you not realize how badly damaged you were? No, I didn't. And I, like I said, I, I remember walking into the afternoon chapel service. I don't remember anything until I woke up in the uh, battalion medical aid station on Wednesday morning. Wow. So um, now what's interesting is I, as I had newsprint on the wall of my office and I kept track of all the units we were seeing and all the different things we had to do. Mm. And there's all these meetings I went to on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Mm. Um, Monday and Tuesday, I'm sorry. And... Um, all these notes, and I had notes from meetings, but I don't remember being at any of them. Wow. And wow. then it was like, it was about 8.30 Wednesday morning, I kind of said, why am I in the aid station? Well, apparently I was just wandering around. Um, so, uh, and then I just kept, you know, I went back to work, and it was another blast that um, hit our headquarters then I wasn't able to stand up after that. So, so, so you, 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 you had the initial blast. You went back to work. You ended up at the aid station. But at that point, you weren't medevaced out to Germany. No, it was another 25 days. Yeah, so, so you had that period where, quote-unquote, you went back to work. And then a, another blast hit the headquarters. Were you in the headquarters? What happened in that, that, that situation? I was in the headquarters and... Um, well, we had a blast outside, and I was outside at the time. It was far enough away, um, but then I, I was shortly after I walked into headquarters, and then I fell down. I couldn't get up, and mm. um, Tracy talked about vertigo. Well, that was one of the things mm. that that hit me. So um, I'm, I'm a big boy, mm. so you can imagine these guys have to put me on a stretcher, and we had a floating bridge to our headquarters, which was on a little tiny island. Mm. And these guys had to get me over their head, strapped to a uh, <laughs> a uh, stretcher, and take me about 100 and some feet down this bridge. Mm. And I kept thinking, this is going to be interesting when we all fall into the water. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was, oh, that was... That was still two weeks or a week and a half, two weeks before I got evacuated. February 28th, I left and went to uh, Launch Duel for a couple of weeks and then to Fort Hood. And um, then they let me recuperate for a couple of weeks at home. Then I 
uh, applied to go back to the unit. So I arrived back in the unit the first week of May, and my general, uh, Mike Taylor, gave me my Purple Heart there in Baghdad. Wow. And uh, so I kept kept working, and it was... Oh, several more times we were exposed to blasts. And what people don't understand about, you know, Baghdad or Iraq, unless they were there, is that random explosions go off all the time. Mm. And uh, so I was in another one, and I fell on the back of my head on that one. And I remember my commander came out to see me, and I was just talking nonsense. Mm. My... uh, Sergeant First Class Strickland, wonderful guy, Vietnam veteran, came up to me and said, Chaplain, you need to go home. Mm. And I went, well, I'm fine. And he goes, no, you need to go home. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, Chaplain, what day is it? And, well, I don't know. He goes, big question, what month is it? And I said, I don't know. Mm. So um, being the good senior NCO leader that he was, he called the doc. The doc came to see me. Yeah came into my office, looked at a pictures on my wall and said, who's that? I said, those are my kids. He goes, what's their names? And I said, I don't know. Gosh. Gosh. So about that point, he sent me into um, one of the specialists we had in country who then arranged for me to go home and um, you know, and I was getting ready to go home, and then we, we had an attack um, on one of our convoys, and one of our soldiers was killed. Mm. So that was my birthday mm. uh, in uh, Baghdad. Mm. And so I stayed and conducted the memorial service mm. for this wonderful soldier, mm. and then I flew home. Gosh. So I went through the launch duel again, mm. um, and I was in a whole bunch of hospitals after that. So yeah. I count seven explosions. So just, well, I want to get on to the kind of treatment and, and then obviously the diagnosis and, and how that's affected your life and, and how you've dealt with that, are overcoming that. Um, you, you know, I know, again, I know you fairly well and I've served alongside you in the Texas State Guard. So this comes with some inside intel. But after that first, second explosion where you had sustained injuries, you could have easily have uh, positioned yourself to not have returned to your unit to Baghdad, got transferred out. I'm sure there were ways given what you'd been through. But but you wanted to return. Why was that? I want to just focus on that for a second before we get on to the treatment and diagnosis. And and that's very appropriate. Especially as we we've got Memorial Day yes. weekend yes. going on, yep. because um, you build a bond, uh, you build a bond with your soldiers, and um, the idea of being away from them and, and not there to help, just that's abhorrent. That you just think, no, no, I got to be there. Yeah, and. Um, you know, from my point of view, these were my soldiers. And I had just come to this unit. I had been cross-leveled to be the chaplain for this uh, 111th Engineers. Mm. And so I didn't really know anybody when I got there. But we did our training together. And 
flew over, but it's but um, it's like a pastor in a parish. Mm-hmm. They're your that's your flock. Mm-hmm. So they, these were my soldiers, and um, I thought it was important that I be with them. But let, let me ask then, so you eventually, after, gosh, over a six, seven month or so period, you experienced seven different blasts. You uh, have a number, I'm sure, of concussions, broken bones, uh, a slew of memory issues you've described. And then you start the, the hospital hop. You start going from hospital, from hospital, to, you know, from specialist to specialist. Yes. What eventually did they settle on as your diagnosis? So they sent me to uh, uh, Colonel Thacker, um, oh. our, a neuropsychiatrist, and he basically, you've got a serious head trauma, and um, we got to get you home before you have a stroke. Oh. So this was in September mm. of '05, yeah. and uh, anyway, so they, um, I then we had the soldier killer. I finished the memorial service, got on a helicopter, flew back. I think it was about eight or ten flights to get back to Fort Hood, mm. and um, once again they want to say that it's psychiatric. It's PTSD, or I'm not adjusting to the military, which I found hysterical because I was a field grade officer with 16 something years, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, well, going on 15, yeah, 15 years yeah. of experience, but I can't adjust. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of the lowest common denominator aspect of military medicine. For sure. And uh, so they dismissed me, and because I was ambulatory, they put me up in guest housing at the fort. I was standing at the elevator waiting to get on the elevator and um, there was a, a, a female officer standing behind me and I turned to her and I said, I think I'm having a stroke. Oh. And my whole right side, my face had uh, dropped and I couldn't, I could not, no, I, I was totally disoriented. I, I really identified with what Tracy yes. talked about. Yes. And, um, I wish I could find this officer's name. Um, she did a wonderful job. She happened to be a nurse practitioner. Oh, gosh. And she got me to the emergency room immediately. Mm. And I went, and she she had to move her vehicle. So I'm standing in line with 50 other people at the emergency room, waiting my turn to go to the desk. And it dawns on me, if you're having a stroke, you need to tell somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, a very similar to Tracy's story. And so I walked to the window and I said, uh, I think I'm having a stroke. And suddenly there's all these kind of people running around like crazy and yes. um, doing all kinds of things. Mm. And um, basically saved my life. Mm. So that was my, my gratitude goes mm. out to them mm. just amazingly. There, again, that was three or four days of total blur. I don't remember much. I remember some folks coming to see me, but I don't remember anything else. Mm. And uh, so then started all the, uh, you know, heading to different hospitals and and treatment programs and and therapies. I 
I've been to so many different kinds of therapies. I've long since lost count. Mm. So the the stroke that you you then had, were were the doctors saying that was because of the blast that you'd experienced, because of the trauma that you'd experienced, or was it just were they not able to kind of identify that no, as the cause? No, they said it was it was due to the trauma. That's what what doctor doctor Thacker had told me. Okay, he said, look, you know, you're a stroke waiting to happen. Okay, we got to get you home. And oh. he had test results and and things that he said, you know, you've got all these little bleeders in your brain. Mm. And we got to get you home. Mm. So, and it was, you know, four days. Well, and and the the crazy thing was, I'm at the field hospital waiting for a helicopter to evacuate me, mm. and my assistant was going with me because he had also been wounded, mm. and um, and we're sitting there waiting, and suddenly we start getting shelled. Mm. at the field hospital and we just looked at each other and said we're not going to make it mm. and then we looked at each other right away and said that's okay and you know, a little bit later helicopter came to get us but again i was just with that last blast it was like you, you just don't know what's going on yeah. it's a fog yeah and, so, uh, so let me ask um s- 2005, obviously, years of treatment. Um, you had the stroke. Uh, they said there was it wasn't PTSD, although you, that is part of the diagnosis. There was something deeper and more serious. What what was that more serious diagnosis that you received alongside PTSD? The, the this is an interesting process, at least to me. Um, I had anywhere from a mild TBI to a moderate TBI, okay. traumatic brain injury. Um, I also, this is uh, kind of freaked my wife out, but there's been at least four times where I couldn't speak English, but I could speak French. <laughs> and, um, and the funny thing about that is that I went to school in France 50 years ago, so my conscious ability to speak French is... <laughs> Very minimal, um, but I would just suddenly start speaking French with a very good accent, <laughs> and um, and re- and using words I knew I didn't remember, but I was using them in context. So it was—it's almost like the language that you had been using 50 years ago, and probably a little bit when you're in Switzerland some years after, you know, earlier, but not that many years earlier, that is embedded in your brain. And this yes. t- traumatic brain injury somehow opens the neural pathways. You can't speak English, but now you can speak French. I can speak, exactly. And I would just be talking to people in France. In and, and you didn't realize you were speaking Francais? No, I knew I, I, I knew I was uh, speaking en Francais, but it was, um, first time it happened, I was ambulatory at uh, Landstuhl Hospital in Germany. Mm. And somebody came up with a great idea that it would be great if we just kind of got on civilian clothes and walked around town. Mm. So I'm walking around the town of Kaiserslautern, and then I suddenly realize I'm speaking in French. And then I, I asked myself, um, why am I in Germany? And, um, and I had a, a, a little container around my neck that we kept our passports and ID cards in so you could show it really quickly. And um, and I reach and I look at that and 
and I look and see my ID card, and I say, and when did I join the Army? And um, here I am, you know, I'm a major in the Army, and I have no idea that I'm actually there, and I have no idea why I'm in Germany. Gosh. And I said, well, I know how to fix this. I'll find a French restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Seemed like the idea. I mean, it's 20-something degrees out, so yeah. I walk and I find a French restaurant. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was closed. It's already mm-hmm getting quite dark mm. and um so i missed that mm. and uh so i remember seeing some soldiers mm. uh, what i didn't realize that, that was the barracks that i was staying in so mm. i walked up to these soldiers and i said in french i think i've got a problem <laughs> <laughs> and they look at me and and then they they take my id card and look me up and and i just remember one of them saying yeah i had injury <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> yeah just flippantly so, casually yeah, just like, okay, he's one of ours. We'll just, you know. So so over those years since the, the injuries, the treatment, the, the diagnoses, now kind of moving closer to, to today, obviously this is lifelong, right? It, it's not yes. like, you know, you take a, a couple of pills a day and guess what, honky-dory. No, I mean, the, the brain has been damaged. You've, you've had the yes. stroke. There are ongoing issues um i remember share you sharing with me and um and and you 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 know we 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 spent some time together and you said to me mark if you see this side of my face start to droop (laughs) like you were kind of prepping me um so you've got these continuous physical continued physiological challenges how have you personally and and the medical intervention how do you continue to treat and manage this tbi and and the stroke and all the all that has happened to you how do you actually deal with it and how do you promote a health healthy lifestyle i mean here you are you you, you're still a a chaplain you're uh you're a doctoral student you you know what i didn't mention in the interview is that you uh are still involved in active mission in another country uh you still pastor or get involved you know a church and involved in a church you're very very active how do you how do you how do you manage it how are you you healing um i i have um, well, I describe them as post-concussive hemiplegic migraines, um, and I've I've had so many different diagnoses, but I have daily migraine attacks, and some days they're totally debilitating, and the, the whole day is a total waste. Other days, um, and I've got all kinds of medicines. Some have worked, some haven't. So, um, virtually every day since 2005. I have a migraine attack which looks like a stroke. And most of the time, if I'm anywhere near a doctor, when these happen, they, they rush me into the emergency room and um, do a stroke protocol because mm. it looks just like a stroke. Mm. But it's, it's this right-sided migraine. But my mm. face droops. I can't talk. Yeah. I remember having a... Well, I had some interesting conversations with docs because I explained that sometimes I can't talk. You know, I go aphasic. And they said, mm-hmm. that means you can't talk at all. I said, yeah, that's, yeah, there's times I can't talk at all. Mm. So I have to, that's why I showed you, the, you know, kind of my sign language. Yeah. Of, and it's not real sophisticated. It's, you know, I'm okay, I'm not sure, and get me to the emergency. Get me to the emergency, yeah, I remember, right. Yeah, that's, that was uh, only three choices. <laughs> And I have done amazingly well. Um, I've been through all the testing, and I just have to be 
I have triggers, and, and most people who have had strokes or head injuries will be sensitive to certain triggers. A sudden change in light, a bright sudden light, or a sudden loud noise. Mm. Um, the day I retired from the parish, because um, now I'm an interim pastor at a mm. church part-time, but mm. uh, the day I t- retired from full-time parish, uh, my neighbor was doing some yard work, so suddenly... And the sun was low in the sky, which is typically when I when I have these episodes. Mm. Um, she started up lawn equipment, that light and that noise at the same time, and I fell flat on my face. Oh, gosh. It's been, since 2005, it's been quite a number of years, 15 plus years. You've had this, um, you've, you've lived with this. You've been able to function, you've been able to continue to work, you've been able to now study, um, to to maintain uh, a mission, a year calling. Um, what role has faith played in in all of this? Is what what role has your your uh, devotional life and faith played in your your healing and management? It's it's been absolutely essential. At the same time, I can say it's been a hell of a struggle. Mm. And and that's the theological hell. That's not the swearing hell. Mm. Um, it's uh, what goes along with this is deep depression, mm. which I have fought for, you know, pretty much as soon as this happened. Mm. Um, and uh, because that, that sense of you, you wake up and you don't know where you are or you don't know what you've got planned. Um, there's, there's isolation because, um, it took me years before I could even tell close friends, um, you know, what my, about the hand signals. I've only been using those for say about four or five years. Yeah. Um, so what I would do is if I felt an episode coming on, I would withdraw totally. Yeah. And it might be walking away in the middle of a conversation. Hmm. Um, and just going and closing the door, and um, and and so there's that sense of isolation mm. that you 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 get, and then the depression and this. I, I was suicidal for many years mm. after all this, mm. and um, so to, so faith-wise, you sit there going, okay, my faith tells me I'm okay. I'm a child of God. Mm. Um, and all these medical issues are telling me I'm not. Mm. Who am I going to listen to? Mm. And um, so there's, there's, it was really a fight. Mm. And I had some wonderful doctors and some wonderful counselors who helped me get through this stuff. Mm. But um, I, I guess the biggest thing for me was I was blessed with meeting people who did not just go by the textbook, mm. but were, were willing to get to know me or, or get to know the people. I would like to finish, given that so today is Memorial Day, and I'd like to finish by giving, I can't think of a better person to comment on the power and potency of Memorial Day and perhaps even offer a prayer. Than you, Chaplain Brunk, with all that you've been through and your experience, um, I, I invite you to just 
offer some thoughts on Memorial Day and then close in prayer. Um, we forget. I guess that's why we need a Memorial Day. I don't think most veterans need, uh, I don't think most veterans forget. We remember all those who did not make it. And we all know somebody who did not come back um, or who did not survive uh, their service. And so just remembering to be grateful for that. And I was thinking, you know, my dad was a army chaplain, um, but in World War II, he was an infantry officer before he became a chaplain. And, you know, my uncle was in, my aunt was in during World War II. My mom served in civilian capacity during World War II. My cousins, um, we're a family that takes us you know, very, very seriously. So it's just a time to, uh, just a time to remember and recognize that there's a whole lot of people who thought that their neighbors and their community and their country was more important than themselves. So let's pray. Yes. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to visit with my wonderful friend, Mark, and to remember all those who have served over the years and who have given of themselves, giving the final measure so that we might live in freedom. Help us, Lord, to pause and to appreciate all that has been done for us and all those who have gone before that we might appreciate and remember. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Chaplain Brunk. Thank you for being thank open you. to sharing so personally and the difficulties and challenges uh, that you have experienced. And thank you for your service. <laughs>